Thanks for checking out the weekly Harmony Church podcast. For more information and resources about Harmony Church or any of the Harmony events, check out the Harmony Church website or Harmony Church Facebook page today. (sighs) Who enjoyed the worship? Who sensed God's presence in the worship? Give me some feedback. What, what did you sense? Love? Peace? Joy? Laughter? Acceptance? See, this is good to reflect. I think often we, we think the worship is like the hors d'oeuvres and then we get to the message, the main course. Well, actually, it's the other way around. Um, worship is the main course. It's about Him. It's about um, everything that He is. And um, when I was asked to preach, I, I prayed about different things. Gideon said this year, last year's theme was the more. That was the, the strong word, was the more. And this year, it's authority starting to walk in our authority. Now, the interesting thing with that is it, it stems in the kingdom of God. And I thought, okay, I can, I can teach on those. I've got enough books and stuff that I've read and taught on it. But I always keep coming back to intimacy. And for those who know me, you will know that intimacy is basically my favorite theme. Wherever I teach in the world, this is the one that I'm known for. Um, And this is a new message, or every message on intimacy that I do is different. And this one I felt to call intimacy with God the key to everything. Because intimacy with Him is the key to everything. And I've journeyed with the Lord now over 40 years. (laughs) So um, it's, it's quite amazing to to step into the things that he has for us. And what I've learned is whether it be faith, whether it be healing, whether it be relationships, whether it be the authority of God, whether it be the kingdom of God, the key to it all is intimacy. Absolutely. And if you go home and look in your dictionary or Uncle Google, don't look at Uncle Google now, just focus on the front. But intimacy in the dictionary says close familiarity or friendship with someone. A closeness, togetherness, affinity, rapport, attachment, confidentiality, close association, close relationship, close attachment, close friendship, friendliness, comradeship, companionship, Amity, affection, mutual affection, warmth, warm feelings, understanding, fellow feelings. I think you get the idea. It's about closeness. It's about being in deep relationship. It's a desire for closeness. A.W. Tozer, who I love his books, he says, our pursuit of God is successful because he is forever seeking to manifest himself to us. Isn't that cool? It's not hard work. 
in seeking God because in our pursuit of God, He is always making it easy to find Him. It's kind of like Tommy Tenney in his book, The God Chasers. He said, God loves playing hide and seek. In the essence that like a two-year-old or a toddler goes looking for for dad, dad's not going to hide himself so well that he can't be found. He'll hide behind the curtain with his shoes being seen so that the child can see the shoes and then pull it back in the delight, I found papa. And Tozer is saying that's the desire of God. He makes it easy and accessible to find him. That's why one of the best ways to intimacy is through worship. Johnny and worship team, thank you. You led us into the throne room of God. I love calling the throne room the living room because, you know, we had babies crying. We had, it's life. The throne room of God is not something, ooh, let's all be quiet. Let's, that distracts me. Hey, is your living room quiet? It's full of life. So when we worship, it's full of life because he's breathing on us. He's ministering to us. And you know, one of the tragedies, like when Johnny encouraged us, sing a new song. It's not just for those who are singers. You are all singers. Hmm. You know, I... I this is not in the message, but I'm just feeling stirred by the Spirit. You know, there's been a couple of books written over the years about the different styles of worship. And, you know, it brought up arguments like, well, my style of worship is not the music and what happens at the front. My style is when I go out for a walk and then I, I get that. But the Bible calls us to corporate worship. And if we look in Scripture... 52 times it tells us to sing to the Lord. It's not a multiple choice of A, B, C. Shall I do it? Shall I not do it? Yes, I will do it. It's a command. Sing to the Lord. And eight times it tells us to sing a new song. What's a new song? A new song is something from your heart. It's not on the PowerPoint. It's not on a sheet of paper. It's your heart response. And if you're still thinking, well, music isn't that important, 800 times in the Bible it mentions music. And then one of the times it it talks about the punishment of Babylon will be that there is no more music heard in her. Could it be that music is important? What moves you in emotion or in memory? I remember my parents, they had a favorite song. It was a song that, um, it's an oldie song. But when they were going out, if it came on the radio, my dad would get all huggy with my mum and say, honey, do you remember that? (sighs) Yes, I do. Songs and music touches us in a way that simple words don't. And that's why worship is so important because it releases something. As we come and worship, we are expressing our heart to God and we are hearing His heart 
for us in the world. You know, often when I'm traveling and I'm talking with pastors and leaders and they're saying, we want to seek God about what he has for us in this year. So what do you suggest we do? I say, let's worship. Oh no, we, we want, and I'm going, yeah, let's worship. In other words, come and sit on Papa's knee, lay your head against his chest and hear his heartbeat. Because if you hear the heartbeat of God, you will hear his strategies. And that's what we desire. So worship is a key part. It actually releases something in us. And there is a power in it. I love quantum physics. And there is some amazing teaching about the position of of worship or, or us as followers of Christ in quantum physics. And one of the things it talks about is the way it shifts atmospheres. Sound shifts atmospheres. And so when we're worshiping, we are shifting atmospheres. There's so much in there. I could go off just on that, but I'm going to stick to what the message is. And I'm using one verse from Song of Songs, from the Passion Translation, just so you get a grasp of the fact that not only is it our desire for closeness, it's God's desire Father, Son, and Holy Spirit desire closeness with us. Listen to these words. Jesus, the bridegroom, to us, the bride. You reach into my heart. With one flash of your eyes, I am undone by your love. My beloved, my equal, my bride. You leave me. breathless. (laughs) I am overcome by merely a glance from your worshiping eyes, for you have stolen my heart. I am held hostage by your love and by the graces of righteousness shining upon you. This is Jesus speaking. This is Jesus and his longing, his desire for you. For us. You know, Jesus, his heartfelt, extravagant, furious love for us means that he has been about reconciling us back into relationship, back into intimacy, back into our rightful place. You know, and if you're still thinking, well, You know, worship isn't that important. I want to read something that he says. He says in his book, The Sacred Journey, which is around Song of Songs, he says one of the problems we we have with worship is often we don't understand how powerful it is. And he got this prophetic word, and I'm just going to read part of it for us now, but this is for us, his beloved Let me tell you what you mean to me, my beloved, my bride, my equal. Every time you look at me in worship and adoration, you capture my heart. You inflame me. You inflame my heart when you look to me out of your place 
of pain, isolation, praise and adoration. I am energised once again to perfect your love and change you into my image. One glance from your eyes does to me what the armies and kings could not do. You have conquered my heart. This is the word. Jesus speaking to us, saying, you have conquered him. You are not nothing. Jesus didn't die for nothing. He died for someone. And that's you. Because he passionately adores you. He is crazy in love with you. In our prayer time this morning came the sense of, for some, it'll be like a returning to the first love today. That first love of knowing that you are loved. But do you know what the key is when, when Jesus warned the church about that? You've lost your first love. Who first loved us? He did. He did. And it's having that clear to know that he first loved us. Jesus has saved us and reconciled us back into relationship with the Father. He has called us into relationship. And this is what Jesus' name means in Hebrew. Jesus, of course, or Christ means Messiah. But in Hebrew, Yeshua is the word salvation. So every time you use the word Yeshua, you are proclaiming salvation. What would happen if we used that word over our city? When you're driving around, Yeshua, over your area where you live, Yeshua, salvation. John Bright in his book, The kingdom of God says the central theme of Scripture is salvation to life in the kingdom, not just salvation from sin and death. See, the problem is we often stop at, I've been saved from sin. But actually, no, you have been saved to come back into the kingdom, to come back into relationship, to come back into intimacy, to come back into the Garden of Eden, pleasure and delight. Wow. He's called you into the position of pleasure and delight. It's not just salvation from sin and death. It's to bring us into a place of the whole new reality, both in the present and forever. John Bright goes on to say, salvation means the recovery of the lost Eden, the kingdom of God and the possibility of a transforming friendship with God. Do you see what's, what's coming here? It's about a garden. This struck me as I was was praying and preparing this week. You know, 
Genesis, it starts with a garden. Revelation ends with a garden. The Father is calling us home into our right position in Him. And salvation brings us back into the place of the garden in the kingdom of God. So what is the kingdom of God? What does it mean to be in the kingdom, to rule and reign and to have dominion? Well, I encourage you, if you haven't listened to Murray's message last week, he gave the most brilliant example and unpacked what it means to live and rule and reign and have dominion. So I'm not gonna repeat that. If you haven't listened to it, get the message. It's worth hearing. We stay in the kingdom when we stay in Jesus. The word he uses is to abide, John 15. Abide in me and I will abide in you. And abide is like being absolutely wrapped in. I'm wrapped in him, he's wrapped in me. I'm in him, he's in me. But I stay there. See, sadly, often when we we sin or we do things wrong or we get a bit lukewarm, we actually move position. Instead of abiding, there's a seat here, just think of a seat. I'm abiding. I move away from him. Problem is, so often we say, And and I I realize when I said this before that God makes it easy to find him, that some of you were probably thinking, I've been trying and I can't find him. But he hasn't moved. You have. And can I lovingly suggest it's time to come home. It's time to come back into this position of abiding in him. And you know, worship isn't, isn't just singing the songs, it's, it's the dancing. I'm not a dancer, I kind of do a jump, jump. <laughs> but I do use other expressions. I raise my hands. I, I learned from Spanish people when I, I taught in Spain, in Sevilla, in, at the YWAM base. I, I learned their way. They are incredibly expressive. And when it came to singing about loving Jesus, it was, it was Mwah! gracias, Señor, amor, amor, Señor. And you're like, whoa. But there is something about the kiss of life. He kissed you into life. He kissed Adam into life. And there is a kiss in worship that we give that is a connection. And it's all because the kingdom is about relationship. The kingdom is about rule and dominion, yes, but it's about relationship as we stay and abide in Jesus. So you might ask, how do I know I'm in the kingdom of God? Good question. And a good answer is, do you value the things that Christ values? Do you value the things that Christ values? What is the position? What are the things that take top priority in your life? Are they the things that Christ values? Because 
when we move into intimacy, we learn to value the things that he values. We are called to rule and reign in authority, and we have this in Christ. In Christ. It's not your authority. And by the way, I just want to throw in here, authority is not about control. Control has to do with the orphan spirit. For those who understand the father heart, you understand as you come into a relationship that you're a beloved son or daughter. You don't have to control because you know Papa's got it all under control. You don't have to control people because you feel insecure because you won't be insecure. Because if you know whose you are, you will know who you are. You know, I've got friends who say to me, I'm still trying to find out. I'm, I'm going on a journey to seek out who I am. Well, I'm thinking, get into intimacy with Jesus. Get into intimacy with the Father. They'll tell you who you are. You're the beloved. You're the bride. You're the precious son or daughter who... The same amount that God the Father loved Jesus, He loves you. Think of that on scales. This is Jesus on this side. You're on this side of the scales. And it says Father's love. It's not heavier on the side of Jesus. Oh, the Father loves Jesus more. No, the Father loves you the same amount He loves Jesus. If that is the only thing you go with today, I pray that it transforms your heart because it is such a revelation. And you know, the thing is with control, with the orphan spirit, it's the wrong tree. We talked last week about the trees, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life. We were told not to touch the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Do you know what? The knowledge of good and evil still kills today. We are called to live in the tree of life. That's living in the position as a beloved son or daughter. No longer orphans. Woohoo! Free to be all of who God made you to be. And by the way, at this point, I want to say when people have had the revelation of the Father heart, just remember you are on a journey for the rest of your life. I've heard people say, oh yeah, I've experienced the Father's love and I know I'm no longer an orphan. Um, true to a point, the orphan spirit still has ways of raising itself once in a while and it's good to see it and deal with it. You are on a journey for the rest of your life. It's, not, it's like the, the journey into the Father's heart is like the journey with Jesus. It's not, yeah, I knelt at the cross, I gave my life to Jesus, it's all done and dusted. It's intimacy, it's relationship. So it's not about control, it's about his authority that he's given to us and therefore we need to handle it rightly because it's a gift. And the other thing is with ruling and reigning and the authority has a lot to do with the spiritual realm. 
not people. I remember being on um, the train in, in Hanover. I was going from where I was living into the city. And people were all talking in the carriage. It was really friendly. And then this guy got on, and young guy, full of tats, tattoos, and he had glassy eyes. He was mumbling to himself. <clears throat> and it wasn't clear whether he was on drugs, drunk, or there were a couple of squatters. By squatters, I mean demonic activity. All I know was fear went through that whole carriage and it went deathly quiet. And I looked at him and I went, not on my shift. And I just started blessing the man and binding the spirits. And then I just inwardly prayed in tongues. Because you see, for the demonic, it gets too hot for them if you pray in tongues. The next station he got off. Do you know in that carriage there was an audible... <sighs> That's authority. But I didn't go up to the person... I confronted the spirit behind. And if you look, that was often the case with Jesus. Jesus loved the person. So we are learning to rule and reign, and it's from the position of intimacy. And what I find amazing, with learning to rule and reign, there's a key to walk in authority, and it's called surrender. It's called submission. And they're pretty much dirty words for us. But you see, Jesus himself is the ultimate example of surrender. Jesus, that in Genesis, is the word that spoke creation into being. Do you realize when he spoke creation into being, he also spoke into creation the tree that he'd be crucified on. It may not have been then, but the seed was. And that same Jesus surrendered to the Father. That same Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, another garden, Why? Because in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus puts right what Adam and Eve failed to do. They abdicated their authority to the devil because of disobedience. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus, in his conversation with the Father, says, not my will be done but yours be done. In other words, he said, as you wish. That's a good way to say I love you, as you wish. And I don't know if there's anyone else in this room, but I love the movie, The Princess Bride. 
There's so many parables in it. And, you know, the farm boy, when the princess bride, every time she wants something done, she'd go, farm boy, do this. And he looks at her lovingly and says, as you wish. Over and over again, as you wish. But do you know, Jesus did that with the Father for each of us. Because he looks lovingly upon us. As you wish. So the word, the word linked to walking in authority is surrender. Jesus the King is our example. You know, he's done it before us. Philippians 2, 6 and 7 says, while, you know, he became like us. Though he was God, he became like us. He humbled himself. There's another word, humility. You want to walk in the authority, you walk in humility. Surrender and humility. That's the way we say, as you wish. And that brings us back to intimacy, which means knowing someone at every deep level. And, you know, it's an invitation to three C's. Because, you see, worship, I remember David Wong, president of Asian Outreach years ago at Sprayden Baptist in a missions convention, said, worship should change us that you leave different to when you came into a service. Because you, if you are meeting face to face with the living God, you cannot remain the same. And it's that call into intimacy. So what's happened? These three C's is the invitation. The first one is conversation. We converse with God through worship, through prayer, through unspoken prayer, through thoughts. Hands up those who've experienced you've had a thought and suddenly you've had an answer to that thought or you've been given something. Look around the room. That is God hearing you. Let's not put God in a box and think prayer is just sitting or being on your knees in a room and coming with your shopping list. It's that intimacy, it's that dialogue with him. And by the way, it's not just talking to him, it's actually listening. You know, I've kept journals since before they became trendy. <laughs> I, I went on a retreat with the pastoral team from Sprayden, a silent retreat back in 1990 to Rosary House. And I said the Mother Superior was my spiritual guide and, uh, in, the, in the time there. And I said to her, I, I just can't focus. I, I get into prayer and my, my mind's all over the place like a pig's breakfast. And she said, you know, the best thing to do is write out your prayers. Write your prayers in one color, then put that pen down, pick up another color, expectant that God will speak. I've been keeping journals since 1990. 
And one thing I love doing, and usually it takes a whole Saturday, I'll go over old journals and where the Lord's spoken to me. And it's so cool to be able to write in green over the top, fulfilled, and write the date, and then go to that journal and say, see journal from 1996 or whatever it was. It builds your faith. It encourages you. It leads to worship where you think, you haven't forgotten. He is a keeper of his promises. And the other thing is, it's an ongoing fellowship. It's not just for Sunday, it's for every day. You know, I have to confess, I, I do not have a lot of patience for bad drivers. And if you want to pray for me afterwards, please do. And sometimes it means I react. And then I turn straight to the passenger seat and I go, I'm sorry, Jesus. You love that person. But he was an idiot. But I bless him. You know, we can all relate to that. But that's fellowshipping with him in the everyday. The ongoing. When you're in a difficult situation at work. Holy Spirit, what do I do with this one? When you're on a train and someone who's difficult gets on the train. Holy Spirit, what's the key here? It's fun. It is absolute fun. Secondly, communion. In communion, it's two hearts beating as one and reflecting a single will. At the heart of communion, at the heart of communion with God, there is the whisper from you of, as you wish. As you wish. And the third and final one is consummation. This is about Christ in you, Christ in me. Paul talks about in Colossians, Christ in you, it's the plural you, not the singular, you, the hope of glory. You carry the hope of glory in you. You are an atmosphere changer. You are a history maker. You just need to realize it. Because he's in you. And what's that? It's about abiding. It's about abiding in him. And he abides in you. It's about being a follower of Christ and not just an admirer. Do you know, sadly, in a lot of fellowships, there's a lot of admirers. But when the rubber hits the road... They're not followers. But here's the danger. Only the followers walk into intimacy and knowing Jesus. And if you read Matthew 24, 25, 26, all of those parables are to believers, not unbelievers. And they're all warnings along the lines of, sorry, I never knew you. That's an admirer. The five foolish virgins were admirers, but they weren't passionate followers. 
the five wise virgins were followers and he knew them. I never want to stand before Jesus on that day and he goes, I never knew you. The most sobering one of these parables is the sheep and the goats. When people were doing good deeds, but they didn't have the relationship. See, to get back to Chad Mansbridge's teaching to us on grace, it's not about performance anymore. It's about position. It's not about the performing of things you do. It's about the position and the place you live out of, and that's in Christ. It's about being that follow, follower. And when you're a true follower, you're spoiled for the ordinary. I remember Joy Dawson um, on my DTS, my discipleship training school with YWAM in 1993 down in Gore, Camp Columba. We had this video, this VCR, for those younger than 93, a VCR is the old video cassette of Joy Dawson teaching on prayer. But then at one point she said what a privilege it is to be a follower of Christ. And she said, you know, if you are a true follower of Christ, the experiences you will have with him will spoil you for the ordinary. I never want to go back to the ordinary because he has the, ex, the spectacular. That's what he has for us. Now I'm trying to remember, I think it's Carrie, William Carey, said, expect great things from God and do great things for God. What's your ex expectation level? And it's all about this thing of intimacy and of enjoying him. Do you know William Temple was the archbishop um, in England in the 18th century, and they came up with a shorter catechism. They had a longer one, but the shorter catechism says the chief end of man is to glorify God. That's the worship. That's that position. And enjoy him forever. And often when I'm doing worship seminars or training worship teams, I ask them this question. When was the last time you enjoyed God? Because you see, if you're walking into intimacy, if you're walking into the depth of relationship with Jesus, you will enjoy him. See, Jesus was about retrieving us back to Eden. Eden meaning pleasure and delight. I want to read to conclude from one of my favorite books that I read bits again and again. I've read it through twice. A New Zealand friend who lives in America who's a psychologist, he suggested it to me back in 2008. And it's called... Falling for God, saying yes to his extravagant proposal. And this guy's a psychologist too, Gary Moon. And I want to read something, because, you know, we've just had Christmas. 
And Christmas is about the incarnation of Jesus. But I want to read the, the perspective of what it cost Jesus to come and reveal true love. Because that's in the Princess Bride too. True love. This is what it says about Jesus and his incarnation. All-powerful God, helpless in a manger. Omniscient mind, confined between the ears of a toddler. Eternal God, confined in time. Omnipresent King, traveling by foot. Creator of the universe, swinging a hammer. Source of living water, parched in the wilderness. Lion of Judah, the Lamb of God, author of truth, accused by liars, prince of peace, beaten by the soldiers, the word of God, edited, the author of life, dead in a tomb. Light of the world, shining forth from a once dark tomb. All-powerful God, becoming like me for a time, so that I would become like him forever. Jesus became like me, like you, for a time so that we could become like him forever. See, Jesus has come back to retrieve his image. That's us. And in so doing, bring us back into the place of Eden, pleasure and delight. And that has to do with intimacy. That has to do with relationship. And it's knowing that he did that while remaining earthbound. Because he knows what it's like to live on this earth. But he's given us the taste of heaven. And in fact, in Psalm 18, it says, He bowed the heavens also and came down. And I love, with darkness under his feet. Or as Paul puts it later on, and the God of peace will soon crush Satan underneath your feet. He came down so that you would be retrieved and come back into a relationship. That's the longing. That's the furious, passionate love of God for you. What's your desire for him this morning? Maybe there's something blocking it 
Maybe there's disappointment or woundedness. Can I encourage you, this is a day to get it sorted out and to return into that place of being connected with him. Returning into that place of knowing you're his desire as much as you desire him. Let today be a starting block on the adventure of a lifetime because perhaps you don't even know Jesus. Perhaps you're not even to the point of an admirer. Can I suggest this is a good day to get on the starting block and start the adventure of a lifetime? Actually, it's not just an adventure of a lifetime. It's an adventure for eternity. And I'd love the team to come back up because we're going to sing again, This Is My Desire. And if it's your desire, I encourage you, if you know there are things you need to put right or you want to walk back and where you've lost that first love, to come forward and stand here at the front is an active move to say, God, I want that connection again. Lord, I want to move into that intimacy with you. And then there'll be ministry team here if you need prayer afterwards. So let's use this song to be our answer in prayer to his longing, his desire, where he's calling us into relationship, into intimacy.